Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. So... Interestingly enough, Jim, the, the most recent draft Twitter update is that there are no quarterbacks worth taking in the first round, apparently. Yeah, they so, all suck. Yeah, yeah they all suck, exactly. They're all terrible. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe we won't need to have a draft in 2016. They'll just all be UDFA. No, why do you even have got... a draft? What's the point? <laughs> What's the point? What's the point? So, draft Twitter has lost a little bit of its vim and vigor, I guess, due to, you know, they're not being an elite quarterback prospect this year. I guess. I mean, did they did they really know what an elite prospect is? I'd start with that. Second, <laughs> um, it's really early, guys. Um, week five of the college football season. We haven't even gotten a week. Seven or eight. So I don't it know. should be noted that in many conferences, this is the first week of in-conference competition. So yes, essentially the preseason has just ended. Yeah, pretty much. You know, not not as many cupcake games. You know, um, teams playing in you know NC State University of Science. Right, I mean, you know, none of that stuff's happening. Um, it's it's all this is where we learn who are the people who aren't, you know. Um, right. Yeah, I come to see change Saturday for a reason because I think there's four or five teams we're going to look at very differently, as I said. What couple of teams do you think have the most games slash lose? as you look at the landscape? Well, I think Alabama, Georgia, a big, big, big thing for both. Um, Alabama wins. They they can they continue their case because, like, they got in last year and they lost to Ole Miss. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if they can continue, if they go undefeated and take on a pretty good Georgia team, I think it was better than last year, but I'll say um, then they could make a better case and get back into the Final Four. If they lose, that's it. We're done. Um, Stick a fork in them. There's no way that you're going to put a two-loss Alabama team into the Final Four. Uh, It's just not going to happen. Um, At least if it happened, then you would have an uproar of people wanted to blame somebody, I don't know, maybe they'll blame Condoleezza Rice, maybe, I don't know. But um, uh, they'll they'll try to figure out something of who to blame, I guess. Uh, Georgia, of course, is, you know, this is, this is their, this is their moment, their moment, where they can, you know, 
like all the years of not doing it, not getting it done. You know, as as Donovan said, you know, they're looser there. They're more, you know, yeah, less pressure and but who knows, but if they're looser, less pressure and they, you know, they go out and win the game, then hey, that that'll be kind of a change of a uh, a big change for the program. But yeah, that, I mean, that's a big game for Georgia as well because winning or not also has national championship implications on top of the fact that Georgia is now for real. They always were kind of real, but now they're for real, for real. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's that's obviously a big game. Uh, TCU versus uh, Texas is big because Texas is not a bad football team. Um, just to get that out there. Uh, I know they're one and three, and, you know, there's lots of things to be written about that. But I think when you actually look and have watched them play, they're a team that's figuring stuff out. I think they've found a quarterback that can at least be, you know, they can at least develop uh, and uh, go from there with. I think the defense is really good. They just need to improve their secondary play. Um, They get some better safeties, too. But I think that TCU has a lot to lose because TCU is not that great this year. They're not as good as they were last year, at least based on what I've been seeing so far. Um, Boykin's playing, I, you know, some people say he's playing better. I think it's debatable. You know, I think he definitely can make more – He's making a little bit more deeper throws, but at the same time, barely takes those shots as well, which is kind of offensive design. Still, it's kind of like, you know, could you throw something farther than five yards, you know? Um, But, yeah, I mean, that – but I just think TCU is a big thing to lose because – not to say Texas could could upset them. It's possible they could upset them. They may not upset them. But TCU has a lot to lose if they lose to Texas. They lose to Texas then they're pretty much out because they're in the Big 12. That's it. You You get one shot. Yeah, you got one shot. And if you lose that one shot, then you're not going to national championship, as we saw last year. Um, Oklahoma has a lot to lose. Well, they really had nothing to lose anyways, but still, they got a lot to lose because they have to go get West Virginia, and West Virginia is a good team. And Oklahoma is... I mean, they're ta- okay, they're talented. They have a lot of things on their team, but they also have a lot of inefficiencies. And I know as much as you want to say Perrine is going to run down their throats and Stoops well, is going to be like, they should. <laughs> I, yeah, but here's the, but as I told you, Bill. Yes, Spend the entire off season, and you look at your roster, and you have this amazing, you have this really good power running back. You go out and you get these really good offensive linemen, or at least allegedly good. I don't know, um, but you go out and you get all these allegedly good offensive linemen, and your plan is to feature Baker Mayfield in your offense, and you start. I will tell you now. 
that that was the thing I fell asleep with ringing in my ears last night. You said that like three times in a row, and it's haunted me ever since. I'm feeling worse and worse about my pick of Oklahoma. <laughs> because as much as you could go, well, they'll be smart. They'll 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 use Perrine and they'll do power football and they'll and they'll win. Um, they should have decided that at the beginning of the season. Like that's just something that should have already been decided. Instead, they're actually doing things to make Perrine less effective. So. Uh, so like that's that's what I'm saying, but that's all that I'm saying. I, I I could very well be wrong and you could be right and you could be like, haha, power football is still alive and well in the in the USA. But <laughs> I just don't know based on what they've done as right. a collective organization and their decisions and Stoops is Stoops, but is he's allowing this to happen? This horrible, horrible thing to happen. This unforgivable thing to happen. <laughs> you know, to decide that yeah, we're not going to win with with uh, Perrine. We're you know Perrine. We're gonna uh, you know all that stuff last year, breaking you know single game record and all that. Stuff, nah, nah. We're not gonna do that. We're gonna be a spready team. We're gonna be like everybody else, right? We're gonna be like everybody else in our division because that's what it's all about now. Spread, spread, spread. So, I mean, but they have, but again, they have a lot to lose. Yeah. Well, even though, but, but maybe not. I mean, it depends on how you look at it. If you think Oklahoma is legit, which I think that they're kind of legit, but not really legit. Um. I, I do like the defense. I mean, that's the thing is I, I do like how the defense plays as a whole. I've always liked their defense. Um, and I do like, you know, the offensive players. But I just don't like the direction they're going on offense, you know. Um, it's kind of like you have a big blockbuster movie, Bill, and you pick Clish, Christian Slater to be the lead role in uh-uh. that oh. blockbuster movie. It's not going to be as mistakes were made, that's all I'm trying to say. Mistakes were made. And you have Will Smith as a little sidekick. That's the other thing, too. You have Will Smith as his, as his little... He's on the, who's on screen for, like, 20 minutes in the film, you know? So, that's... But, yeah. Come on, don't do that to Will Smith. But, yeah, that's what happened. That's what happened in Oklahoma. Um, it's also big for Baylor, I think. Because Baylor, all the Big 12 teams, they can't have a loss. It's just not – you can't lose one, period. doesn't matter if it was a tight game to the end. doesn't matter if it was just kind of a shootout and, you know, you blinked. You can't blink. According to the voters, you can't blink, you know. Um, you can't, can't do that. So Baylor has to be Texas Tech. Uh, Texas Tech, by the same token, has to be Baylor. Um, and they, even though they lost, they lost to TCU and close. But at the same time, that may not be enough to the voters' minds. You know, so that, but but this, but if there was any year where I could see a Big 12 team getting in with one loss, 
it would be this year. And that's only because the Pac-12 as a whole, as a collective, is just not great, you know. None of the teams in the Pac-12 are really dominant. None of the teams in the Pac-12 have some some one part of their unit that's elite. Uh, I mean, people could argue UCLA, but three of their best players pretty much are down out for the season. So, uh, you know, I mean, Josh Rosen is Josh Rosen, but losing Josh Rosen in games where I'm like, eh, you know, he's still a young guy with the offense that's not exactly special across the board. So I think that Big 12 could still get in with one loss, but at the same time, why risk it? So I think all those teams kind of, you know, all those teams need to need to win pretty much. Um, and probably Ole Miss, Florida. That's the last one I'll, I'll mention um, is Ole Miss has a lot to lose because they're third in the nation, which is crazy to me. If you watch them play, it's kind of crazy yep. that they're that high. But, yep. But they're in the SEC. All you have to do is not have a loss and be in the SEC West. And if it's if you're four weeks through and you don't have a loss in the SEC West, automatically we're going to put you in the top ten. We've learned that. I, 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 oh, I guess. Well, it's very, very Ric Flairian sort of. You gotta beat the man to be the man type thing. Um, yeah. Which I get, you know, hey, they're the man, but going against Florida, Will Greer has a flu, so that would be the only weakness that Will Greer has, according to Florida media, is the flu. So um, we'll see what if he plays or not. Uh, but I don't think he'll put on a Michael Jordan performance. That's the only thing. He does play with the flu. I don't think it's going to be this amazing game where people are going to be like. Remember, Will Greer got the flu and was lights out and carved up the Ole Miss secondary. I, yeah, fucking happened. Um, Florida could conceivably beat Ole Miss because they're, I mean, they're a finely constructed football team. Ole Miss is, they got lots of talented players, but they're not, I mean, Chad Kelly's, you know, um, so I, yeah, I mean, but they have a lot to lose because again, it's all they're ranked third in the nation. If they lose, then they obviously lose. So that's that's kind of the point there, I guess. Uh, if Notre Dame, because the base point is that I I don't think Notre Dame has a lot to lose only because if they do lose to Clemson, well, actually they yeah, if they lost to Clemson, it'd be pretty bad. But, like, at least I don't think they would drop too far if they lost to Clemson. Um, it's just that it depends on what Clemson does after that. Clemson can't, you know, lose anymore. They'd have to actually, like, go undefeated and stuff like that um, to make it look – to make it a good loss, I guess, which is weird to say. But that's, that's where we're at, a good loss. Well, as you pointed out, the most, when it comes to the Final Four, the most powerful thing about being an SEC school, particularly SEC West, is that you can, as long as you don't have an ugly, stinky loss, you can have a loss, particularly if it's early in the season. And obviously we saw in the Big 
Ten, though the Big Ten doesn't get mad respect and usually doesn't deserve it, you can survive picking up one loss as long as you do it early in the season. You don't usually get that same pass if you're in the ACC, and you definitely don't get it if you're in the Big 12. You might get it if you're in the Pac-12. That's the only question I have. Do you think a Pac-12 team that picks up, okay, Stanford, for example, they otherwise run the table, don't lose any other games, but drop the early, which is very much similar to the Ohio State loss against Virginia Tech in a lot of ways, can they survive that if they otherwise run the table and make it, in your mind, to the Final Four? No. Okay. Mainly because that that Northwestern game was one of the worst it, it was ugly. team this this year. It was ugly. Um, it was not a good loss. No. By imagination. Um the only thing the only thing you could say is that if Northwestern goes undefeated, which it's possible because they don't play Ohio State you know, at all this year, uh, at least not in the regular portion. Right. So they could end up going undefeated, possibly, um, if that'd be really crazy, but it could happen. Um, and then you could be saying, hey, Stanford's only loss was against that undefeated Northwestern team, right? And then <laughs> not watch the game again, right? That's what you got to do. <laughs> Just don't watch the game again. Just look at the records. Uh, and then you're fine. If you watch that game, no way do you come out going Stanford is a national contender for anything, um, let alone how are they going to survive their own conference schedule. So now maybe they've gotten their stuff together. I, I kind of, you know, I guess you have to say they did. They took down USC, a team that should have beat them, didn't beat yeah. them. But, uh, but it, they're high off that. But I just, I don't, I just don't see that as a as a possible. I think Stanford's going to lose another game this year. I don't know which one, but they're going to drop another one. That's going to be it. But even if they went undefeated the rest of the way, I just don't. You can't get that out of your mind. At least with the Big Twelve losses, they were close. You know, they were field goals. The Northwestern loss was they couldn't run the football effectively. They couldn't complete a pass 10 yards down the football field. Like, that's bad. The quarterback yeah. can't even pass 10 yards down the football. So, um, which, I mean, you could say Northwestern did their thing. Which they did. I'm not taking away credit for them. But it was really, that game was more so about Stanford. You know, maybe Stanford would have made it more competitive, I should say, if they actually were completing passes and actually blocking guys to get yardage on the ground, which is something they weren't doing. Right. They go to the Rose Bowl, though, you know. Right. I'm, so, this to me, the team with the most to win flash lose is still Clemson. Because, like we said with some of the conferences, they, they're they dead in terms of the national championship if they lose this game. 
That's it. That no matter what they do, they could beat Florida State because if they do, then people will say, well, Florida State wasn't that good anyway. I mean, there's there's no one else they get to play during the rest of the season with the exception of Florida State that essentially anybody respects nationally. And it's a shame to say that, but it's essentially true that Clemson, Florida State, are the two teams that get any level of national respect in the ACC. And Notre Dame, which is sort of a quasi-semi, it's, it's not quite going steady with the ACC, but it's currently an ACC friend with benefits, I think. I mean, it's, it's, it's the biggest secret in all college football. It's the secret conference, the conference <laughs> that nobody talks about. You, what you do is it's part of the conference. What you have to do is you have to do a magical spell and say a bunch of words, and then all of a sudden, bam, it's part of the conference. It basically is the ACC. Kind um, of, sort of, yeah. It's a, it's all, of their, all their conference play is set up with the ACC. Uh, the other programs, the other parts of Notre Dame's programs are fully mm-hmm. – um, and yes, basketball, track and field, baseball, softball, swimming, you know, uh, field hockey, soccer. Field hockey, soccer, all that other stuff. Wrestling, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The football team isn't because Notre yeah. Dame's football team is omnipotent. They are <laughs> above everything else. They right. are a God's conference, the heavenly conference. But, like I said, you do a little, you do a little enchant or something, right? You do that little rain dance, and then magically you put the codes into the computer. Then bam, it's part of the conference. So Notre Dame is pretty much the ACC. It's the secret ACC conference team. It's, it's kind of cool when you think about it that way. That's what Notre Dame wants you to think: is we're the cool <laughs> ACC conference team that doesn't show up on the ACC standings, nope. but. You know we're there. You know we're part of it secretly. So secretly, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Secret. <laughs> well, here's my here's my friends with benefits remark. I mean, because they're never going to go out on a date where people can see them. You know what I mean? They're never going to introduce them to mom. You know, it's never, that's never going to happen. No, no, Brian Kelly. Ew, no. <laughs> right. That's my point is, you know, you're never going to go public. You're not going to change your Facebook status and say this in a relationship with the ACC for everyone to see. But exactly. but they're ACC. Right. Well, like I said, friends with benefits with the ACC is what they are there. Notre Dame is friends with benefits I, with the ACC. Yeah, I think it's, I, you know, like I said, I think it's a, a secret conference. <laughs> is they're magical conference that's secretly part of the ACC. Yes, there's, I guess so. Right, right. Midnight creeping with the ACC. Yeah. If you can turn, if you turn, you know, wine into the blood of Christ, then you could take a conference team that's not in the conference and put it in the conference at the last minute for a football game and then take it away at the last minute as well. So that's all right. I'm trying to say. Right. Magic. Magic. Theatrical, if you will. <laughs> Prestidigitation, yes. Um, 
and it's the it's the game that, that Steve chose to write up. But it's a fascinating game for a variety of reasons. The teams have complementary with an E, you know, strengths and weaknesses in that some of the things that one team does the best are the things the other team's the best at sort of taking away and vice versa. Uh, of course, I think the power running game, the possible sort of power running, in Notre Dame, that's my real concern is that Notre Dame may just decide to do what we just said that someone probably won't choose to do and just get all downhill and, you know, slap the uh, front seven of Clemson around, which is basically built like the old Colts front seven. Let's get a two-touchdown lead and then, you know, knock the living daylights out of your quarterback. And if we can't do that, then we we have a little bit of trouble. So it'll be interesting to see if Clemson can get a lead, first of all, uh, if they can indeed let the dogs hunt. And then and on the other side, obviously, Notre Dame doesn't want to put the game in Deshaun Kaiser's hands, but, but they clearly they clearly trust Deshaun Kaiser. It's not like they are afraid to let him throw the ball down the field, but they prefer that he be doing that by choice, you know, as opposed to, you know, essentially doing it to save the hostages kind of situation. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, um, I mean, he's been – I mean, they trust him just because they put him in spots where they told him, hey, we need you to win the game, and he won the game. So, um, you know, with his arm to a certain extent. So, um, I don't completely trust him. I don't completely trust Kaiser, but at the same time, I don't think he's bad. You know, he's kind of good. It's just, it's more so. I think it. I think a lot of the things that I saw that were kind of eh was probably just because he's a quarterback that hasn't got a lot of reps, obviously, um, because of being, you know, the backup guy and being young, um, but. But I, as I said last night, in terms of just this particular game, uh, yeah, this is the Oklahoma game. It's run downhill and get your linebackers to stop us. And uh, I don't think that that's something that Clemson really does a really good job of stopping um, is that. So um, it gets a play-action stuff, too, with Kaiser. So. Yeah, so I mean that that's that's what they're going to do. Clemson has more to prove, at least to me. I mean, they have to prove that their offense can score against Notre Dame consistently. They have to prove that their defense can get can stop the run. I mean, it's basically Clemson has to prove everything, at least to me. Um, and right. I know well, it's not just it's not just you, Jim. I think that's true of everybody. Everybody says, "I've heard that you're good." You know, show me. <laughs> I think that's what everybody believes when it comes to Clemson. Well, yeah, I mean, and it's only because, I mean, you know, they played, I mean, you know, they played Wolford, which is, you know, it's Wolford. Played Appalachian <laughs> State, which is Appalachian State. Um, and they played Louisville, who has one and three right now. Um and watching yeah. that game, it wasn't dominant win for Clemson. It was kind of, you know, you know so it's, uh, I don't know. Clemson is a funny team, you know. It has 
really big fan base, and everybody goes all crazy, like, we're going to do it this year, honey. We're going to do it. I don't think this is a year. Um, I really don't. So, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. Notre Dame, I mean, Kaiser could go out there and throw three picks in Death Valley because, you know, I, I keep being told that Death Valley is such a hard place to play. And sure, it has lots of, I mean, it's a, a crowds and everything. I could see that effect. But uh, one thing that shuts up crowds is a really good running game. So that's, what I kind of, I don't know, that's what I kind of expect them to do. And uh, CJ Procise. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's a pro truth. Yeah. That boy did it. He's he's fun to watch. I mean, I hate to say that they fell up with Folkston going down exactly, but they They kind of did. They kind of did. They kind of did. They kind of fell up on that one. And the thing is, is like I think, I think the trap they they went into is that Folston is just a better looking running back. You know, like uh, in terms of just like he has, uh, you know, a six pack and biceps and stuff like that. You know, kind of like oh, he's a beast. And CJ's. Yo, wide receiver last year. We're trying him out, you know, type. You know what I mean? Like that sort of feel to him. Um, and, right. yeah, extremely effective, probably more effective than Fulton's ever been as a runner. Um, so it's just weird that way, but that's just how it's kind of turned out to be. Yeah, well, his first step, and not that Fulton's slow or anything, but his first step, very nice, very, very impressive. And then – as we as we pointed out, I mean, when he when he has to make contact with somebody, he doesn't feel he doesn't feel like a, a wide receiver when you try to bring him down. Uh, we sort of talked about the sort of reverse Golden Tate, right? Tate comes there as a as a running back, and they sort of mess around with him as a running back for a while. And eventually, figure out that he's a wide receiver, and you know now we have sort of a, an opposite situation. The guy comes there and. You know, they're thinking he's going to play wide receiver, and he played wide receiver. It's not like he's thinking about it. I mean, it happened. We saw it happen, but it's pretty clear to me. You know, <laughs> I don't think I'm going out on a limb and stating that. In my opinion, were it left to me, he would be a running back from this point forward, and I have a feeling that he will be. I don't think that we're going to see, you know, him playing you know, wide receiver, but he still catches the ball well. I mean, that's that's a great. I mean, he's. I don't see how you could not be excited about him. That's just how I put it. I don't see any way not to get excited. About him. I'm really excited about him. Um, I mean, my my only like my only hiccups with him have just been that you know, little upright yep. and. Like I said, has power, mm-hmm. second effort all the time. It just doesn't do it in sort of the manner that you kind of expect. And maybe because of the wide receiver in him, maybe. But, um, but, but he is extremely effective at what he does. When he gets to the second level, really good vision, really good open field vision. Um, follows his blockers in space. Uh, as well, and then finish, and then finishes the run. So it's I don't know. It's just a minor sort of 
thing. And also because I, I haven't been able to really find a, a similar running back. I was going through a lot of different running backs. Um, you know, going through, looking for comparisons, say, it's just like that. Some people said Carlos Williams. And I was like, eh. <laughs> That was a couple yeah. reasons why that doesn't work. <laughs> well, because Carlos, you know, well, because one, because CJ actually has vision and you know, yeah. can actually do inside runs and um, isn't as rigid and, you know, whatever. Carlson's is successful in the NFL, but, hey, you don't have to have vision to be successful in the NFL. It's just like a James Starks, so, though. Um, you just have to follow your blockers. So, I, I, yeah, I mean, I, he he's a really good running back. And I think, you know, so far he's my second best running back, you know, based on what I've been going, when I've been going through grading. Um, but I don't know why I don't feel as confident in him as I should, but it's just, I don't know. I don't know. It's just really hard to say. It's just because he, because he is a guy that's a transition guy. There's some things you kind of worry about, but at the same time, he also shows you that he does know how to pitch the football wall back. Or he does know how to do all these sort of things. So it's, um, Oh, you're projecting a few things on him at the next level, uh, which I don't always like to do. But he, for what he does do, it's all really good. So, you know, it's kind of that sort of thing. Right. A player that I don't know if he's been lost in the. I'm trying to really describe sort of the situation with him. I mean, a player that I really like, and I, I think is probably going to have a, a massive impact on whether his team does well or not is um, is Kenyon Drake. Uh, Sometimes you'll hear people discuss him, you know, sort of like he's a a complimentary piece to, you know, what they do down there at at Alabama. And sometimes he is. I mean, there are games where they don't really make a great deal of use of him. But it seems to me that their offense just looks so much better when he gets the ball 15 or more times. Oh, really? To me. Really? You said. To me. So, to you me. know, I mean, Derrick Henry catches that wheel route and goes for zero yards. <laughs> uh, don't like that. <laughs> it, it, it's a stylistic thing with me, I guess. And, and there is a place for Derrick Henry in, in the world, and I'm not disputing that. And he will find a role, and he'll probably have a, a, a solid, fairly long even NFL career. But there are things that he just doesn't do terribly well, and one of those things is change direction. And it's he he's a He's a choo-choo train. You know, Derrick Henry train coming downhill. Choo-choo. I don't know. I think Derrick, you know, honestly, Derrick Henry might get banned by the NFL because he causes concussions. So yes, he does cause concussions. See, well, hey, I, NFL bans players for far less. I'll just say that much. So sure. um, you could do the Derrick Henry rule where uh, if any running back who causes concussions in a manner like that, or any any running back that causes five concussions five weeks, uh, those guys get banned, you know, because it's too violent. <laughs> he he is about- a super violent runner. That is the one thing I will say. I mean, 
I'm trying. I'm trying to think of the last time I saw someone who ran with sort of that level of violence. Uh, it's been a while. I mean, you don't see those guys every day nowadays. It's not. It's not a common occurrence that you see someone who just, like I said, sort of the, you know, like a coke machine on wheels, just sort of rolling. Right. You know, rolling, just rolling downhill. It's not violent in the sense, but that's that's the thing though. It's not violent in the sense that he's bringing something to the table that's violent. It just is what it is, you know. It's physics, so is what it is. That's what it really is. <laughs> it's like watching, you know, Tom and Jerry, and then you know, and it gets hit by a train, right? It's that sort of thing. Like it's violent. It's not really the train that's violent. It's just the the act of that train hitting something. So right. It's, right. But it's, it, I mean, I get that aspect of it. At the same time, I, I'm, again, I'm not really the biggest Derek Finry fan either. I know people talk about his pass protection. I really don't care about that that much. I mean, it's part of my grade. It's improved. Yeah, it's improved. I mean, I, I will, I'm going to give him credit for getting better at it. Yeah. He also is a little too overconfident in pass protection too. But, you know, it, I, I just say it like this. He's six foot three, two hundred fifty pounds. Who knows how much he weighs? You're supposed <laughs> to pass protection when you're that size because you're basically like a fullback in the backfield. You're like a tight basically. end. He's back yeah, tight basically. End back. You know, so of course you're supposed to be getting pass protection. But I do agree with Drake. I think he doesn't get enough credit. Um, I think the whole beef with with, with him and uh, Meek Mill is, you know, it's like. Just, just get over it, Kenyon, you know? But, um, yeah, I, you know, I, he does do more. I mean, the offense, I mean, that the, the thing I think it is is that Kiffin sees Drake as a better running back, but he has to play Derrick Henry. You know, like the scheme fits Drake mm-hmm. better than Henry. Correct. But he has to play Henry because reasons and <laughs> you know because he's at Alabama and he was a top recruit and uh, Saban probably likes Derrick Henry because he's an old school guy who just wants to run the football down people's throats so he just has to do it but I think if Kiffin really had his way he probably would only use Derrick Henry in like goal line situations and stuff like that or why even do that because that's the other thing too is he, Drake could definitely Henry could be like go downhill and stuff like that, but in a goal line situation, is he really always going to punch it in? I'd rather go with Drake because at least he could find the open lane to get into the end zone versus just trying to smash it in. But I don't know. That's just me. I never understood the whole concept of smashing it into the end zone versus actually finding an open spot to get into the end zone, but that's a difference of philosophy, I guess. It is a difference of philosophy. Um, two other running backs that I think will be definitive and important in the outcomes of games. Uh, one is Shockland Wood. And once again, I think Baylor's offense looks better when Shockland Wood gets at least 15 or so touches. And I know they love to throw the football. I know they've got other running backs. I know they're, you know, spreading the well, blah, blah, blah. But when Shockland Wood gets going, that's a troublesome team. I mean, they're, they're obviously, you know, they can put 50 on you no matter what. But when Linwood's really in the groove. Ugh. I mean, I understand he's not, you know, Derrick Henry. I mean, he's not a giant 
He's a fairly small running back, but he's got some power. And to my knowledge, he's never been hurt. I mean, I, I at least as far as I can remember, he's tying Baylor. I'd have to double check to be certain, but I can't really remember getting getting nicked. You know, people like to assume that smaller guys are not going to be durable, but to, I mean, I'm searching my memory. I can't remember him ever missing any time with injury. At least, like I said, since he's been to Baylor. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Smaller guys getting injured is like a self-fulfilling prophecy anyway. Um, people, you know, when a guy, when a small gets injured, they go, hey, see, look, right? And then when a big back gets injured, it's like, well, you know, he just got hurt, so he'll be back. But, <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, my thing with Linwood is just that I, he's very, he is a very dynamic runner. Um, but they don't use him that much. Nope. And Frustration for me. Probably for him, too. And Baylor backs have not necessarily been killing it in the NFL, you know? Um, sure. Which is, you know, you could blame some of it on uh, C-Strunk's attitude and stuff like that. Um, and, you know, not picking up the offense. But, I mean, it's it's just sort of a... Like, you know, you would think at least one of them, right? At least one of them would, you know, even like Glasgow. Remember Glasgow? You at least think that guy yeah, might. Yeah, I remember him very well. On a team or as something, right? But no, not him. So uh, is this the guy that's going to do it? Maybe, but we'll see. Uh, but like I said, I don't think they use him enough. Um I don't think they feel like they need to. I mean, that's the thing about their system is it's their system. So, well, why use them more? Why why would we do anything else? Who's got it better than us, right? <laughs> yes, right. Who's got it better than us, right? So, uh, it's uh, – I, I don't know. But it would be fun. It would be fun if they actually used them a little bit more. Oh, and, it would be and delightful. Did it, and, and did sort of like what you were talking about Oklahoma, you know, where, you know, they run the football, do a little bit more power. Because they do try to do that in their scheme. I mean, they do try to put power concepts in their rushing mm-hmm. offense. It's just that they don't do it as often. And usually no. the times when they're trying to do it, their offensive linemen are like, really, i got to finish this block. We're up by five touchdowns. Why do I have to finish this block? You know, so, which some people hate that mentality, but I, that's just what I see. Lazy. I think yeah. it's, yeah. you know, you're up by five touchdowns. You're kind of like, usually when when that happens, guys are a little looser, right? They're a little less, mm-hmm. you know. Yes. I mean, and that's one of the criticisms of Baylor is that all those early season blowouts keep you from developing mental toughness. I mean, that's one of the things you hear bandied about every time talk about talk about people talk about why Baylor doesn't close out, doesn't finish, doesn't this, doesn't that. And you I mean, you know, it's obviously a quote unquote narrative, but there might be some merit to it. Maybe they should try to toughen up that, you know, quote unquote preseason, you know, whatever you want to call it, that early season schedule 
and uh, go play. I mean, it doesn't have to be a super tough team, but maybe, you know, Indiana or uh, Western Kentucky or, uh, you know, somebody. I almost said Toledo. (laughs) Um, But, you know, Toledo obviously has turned out to be, you know, not so much a warm-up game for some people. But the... I guess what it comes down to for me is people always talk about things that your team learns, you know, from playing week in and week out. And a lot of those games do turn into, as you mentioned, sort of glorified scrimmages. And you do see guys treating them sometimes almost as glorified scrimmages. So when they do get in a dogfight against West Virginia, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, whoever it is, some of the habits aren't the habits maybe you as a coach would have liked to have seen them develop. Is that, is that something that you agree with, or, or do you see it, see, it, see it differently? Well, I mean, that's the argument you could make. I haven't seen it with this Baylor team. I think that, True. I mean, I haven't seen them give up in games. I haven't seen them go into games where they just were like, well, we're not mentally tough enough. Because I'm one of those people that thinks that mental toughness a lot of times is in the players already. You know, like Mitzvah oftentimes has a lot to do with how your players are, um, with the things the things they have to do with off the field, you know, develops a lot of mental toughness. Um, now, of course, learning how to win games is something that you have to learn in game um, and finishing out games. But uh, as far as mental toughness goes, I mean, you could be a guy who barely played in football at all um, and has really good mental toughness. So it's, you know, I don't think it's that. I, I don't think it's, people criticize it, but you never find examples of it where it's like bit them in the butt in terms of the teams they played. They always play to the finish, whatever game they're in, um, whether it's a tight game or not. It's just that they usually, the only thing I've seen is that sometimes when they play against certain teams and they lose or have issues is that when they don't make proper adjustments. Um, which I wouldn't say is mental toughness. This is more of a game planning thing. But they might go against a team that takes away certain things on offense, and then they don't make all the adjustments they need to make to beat them, which has happened a few times in the past, um, like against Oklahoma and a few other teams. They've had issues trying to adjust to things. But that's, but like I said, that's more of a game planning aspect of it. That's more on the coaching staff, really. You know, to to make those adjustments uh, so that they can, you know, get rolling. Um, but I don't think it – I don't think it, it, the players have had – contributed to any losses because uh, they're not – because they've – because they treated scrimmage games like a scrimmage, I guess, you know. So. Sure. So what are some of the other – Things that you've taken away from what we've what you've seen so far from that from uh oh sorry forget texting him um Trey Carson he's also their toughness back or whatever term to use the you know the guy that people sort of point to as being a little bit different from all the guys they've had in the past or whatever term you want to use. 
But now they have this guy who's a little different from all the, the other guys they've had who were testing and running backs traditionally. Well, actually, take it back. I mean, you know, so you go back to Kristen Michael and, um, oh, gosh, who's the other guy I'm thinking of? Uh, that Mike Sherman, including when you first got there. I guess we're sort of 222 and 25-pound, 230-pound guys with a certain amount of power. And then the thought process was supposedly that someone was, you know, looking for chocolate, which I guess for lack of a better way of putting it. Uh, but now, you know, they do have Trey Carson, who came there by way of, um, uh, uh, you know, um, Oregon, and is a big bat. And he can he can get downhill with the best of them, and he, he runs with power. He runs with authority. Whatever term you want to use, he runs with that. He also yes. helps to, you know, make it. He helps to make his team look different, for lack of a way of putting it, on um, in terms of what they present as a uh, as an offense. Uh, sort of, what do you what do you see when you look at things that they maybe could or should do to be a different kind of team as they go forward? to get into the meat of the SEC schedule that might help them? Well, you know, Texas A&M, I mean, with Carson, he's a good running back, big running back, power running back. Um, But they don't always commit to him in the way that just the the way they do their sort of thing. So they want the power running back type of scheme, and they want it all with Trey Carson doing most of the heavy lifting, which is not how it always works. You know, power running is just as much about the blocking as it is about the running back. Um, so, I mean, they're trying to do – so. It's 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 kind of like that. It's it's where they they have a power running back. When they use him in games, he's going to be effective. When they get up into a game where teams are just going to, you know, put eight in the box, you know, push uh, push linemen around and um, shed blocks quickly, do that kind of thing. Frank Arsenal not going to be as effective in those situations um, because the blocking just isn't there. So it's um I don't really know what Texas A M should really do. I mean they're doing what they're doing. They're spread offense, uh sort of scheme with really good wide receivers across the board. Um, wherever you look, there's a wide receiver. I'm surprised you know, one of them's probably gonna transfer downgrade or whatever, you know. <laughs> you know, you just have to whoever uh, and I'm not talking about the guys we know about, just the guys below those guys, right? Who, mm-hmm. How good are those guys? Um, you know, which is probably a bad strategy because you know, maybe they suck and everybody else is good. But, I mean, Speedy Noel, Ricky Shields-Jones, Josh Reynolds, Christian Kirk has been really fantastic on special teams as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and on, on offense. So, I mean... Carson, I mean, Carson gives them a little taste, a little Hershey's kiss of 
power. But I don't know what else you do with that because Texas A&M's offensive line, while it is, I mean, oh, I mean, it's good, solid by college football standards. It's not really into that bulldozing life, you know. Um, <laughs> right. Sure. Never been into that bulldozing life. Uh, that I can even remember. No. So it's that's the only thing they'll have issues with is is they'll think they have a power running game because they have Trey Carson, and then they go, oh well, we thought we had one, but we didn't have the blockers for it, you know, like that sort of um, sort of, you know that situation will come up. Um, but will they ever get in a situation where that'll have to be the thing they have to do? I don't think so. The Alabama, what are they going to do? They're going to spread them out. Hey, Alabama, stop Christian Kirk. Go. Right? <laughs> right, right. They'd be too busy dealing with that than worrying about Trey Carson. Trey Carson might actually look good in that game. Actually, he won't really look good in that game. His lag run will, like, you know, blow up. He'll, like, knock one of the guards back. You know, he's going to do his thing um, in terms of just, blowing up offensive linemen at the point and just tackling Trey Carson to the ground. Um, but I think when they do play – I mean, when they play certain teams, could, could, Trey Carson can close out games I, maybe, but I just think it's sort of a – Trey Carson sort of a, a perversion. It's sort of something that is there because – it gives them a, a different look on offense, but at the same time, it you're not really committing to it. You're not really committing to that mentality, so you're never really gonna really. It's never really gonna help you as much as you think it does. If like when you really need that power game to get going, it's not gonna work just because you have Trey Carson. It has to work because your whole offensive line works as a unit. So make it work with Trey Carson. And I don't think they're like that. I think they're just kind of flirting with power stuff. So, in other words, Trey Carson is a really good back. It's just that he's playing on an offense where it's kind of Mike Leachy too, where he's yeah. just kind of a distraction, you know. Don't pay attention to the man behind the curtains type of, you know, thing um, with Trey Carson. So, um, but does he give him different looks and stuff like that? Yeah. What do they need to do going forward? I I don't know personally. I mean, I think the offense works fine. I think the I, I think the quarterbacks need to play a little bit more more efficient. You know, not make as uh, um, as many youth mistakes. I guess is the best way to put it. Uh, but other than that, I mean, they're fine. The defense is still not. I mean, they have lots of really good players, but they're still not where they want to be, but I think as the season goes on, they'll get better and better and better. At least what I think is what's going to happen. They'll get better as the season goes on. But when you look at the rest of their schedule, they have Alabama, Ole Miss, South Carolina, Auburn, you know, and Vanderbilt and, you know, stuff like that. So if they can get past Alabama with Christian Kirk and if they get past Ole Miss, with Christian Kirk, and they destroy South Carolina. Because, come on, South Carolina, are they really going to beat Texas A&M? No. Um, is Auburn going to beat Texas A&M? No. 
So, like, no. those are the two big games for them. They have to beat Alabama. They have to beat Ole Miss. Finish the season out with LSU. That'll be a big test because Texas A&M and Texas A&M and LSU offensive line don't mix. So, uh, LSU has had their number a lot in the past when it comes to their offensive line versus Texas A&M defensive line. Uh, even even going back to last year, Miles Garrett uh, was sent back to grade school by Lyle Collins. Um, <laughs> this year, it's not that much different. They're it's messy, man. I mean, I know we give a lot of credit to LSU, but it's it's messy, messy, messy. But it works. It's effective. Uh, it's a bunch of fat guys running around. And uh, you know, tripping and falling, but somehow blocks are made. So it's uh, it works, but that that'll be the. I mean, that's honestly the bigger test for me, I guess, is that last game. So if they can get through Alabama, which I think they can, it's possible. It's an interesting game because of the the the, the differences of the offensive philosophy. Uh, well, sort of, you know, Lane Kiffin's, you know, but. Um, but just different to the offensive philosophy. Ole Miss is, you know, Ole Miss. But once if once we get past those few games, LSU is the real game I want to see because that's going to say a lot about where their defensive line is going to go in the future, and if they're different now, you know, if they've gotten to the point where they're like, you can't bully us anymore, LSU, or maybe not. Maybe the bully comes back and they're like, hey, how's it going? You know, yeah. You know, where's 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 your lunch money? You know, type thing. But we'll see. Um, but I don't know what Texas could really do to improve um, what they do. But I definitely don't think doing a power running game is going to help them beat Alabama. And I don't think it's going to help them beat Ole Miss. I don't think it's going to help them beat LSU. I think that all has to do with their defense, how the defense plays, and making sure they put points on the board with their best asset, which is the wide receivers. Sure. And they do have some really fun wide receivers. Uh, that's that's obviously the. I mean, you're right. I mean, there's not too many teams that can just go out there and cover those guys. It makes it very stressful just to figure out how you're going to, as I say, contain them. You know. <laughs> uh, and then, depending on what happens with their quarterback situation, and. Texas A&M has an interesting situation in that they, you know, the old, we've always talked about the multiple quarterback situations. And Kyler Murray, who is the undersized but extremely exciting son of Kevin Murray and one of many second-generation players from Hardy Nickerson Jr. to the McCafferty's to, I mean, there's a bunch of guys I'm recruited. I'm about Austin Prohl at Carolina. There's a bunch of sons of guys that I scouted in, in college football now. Uh, but a, a fun player to watch, obviously. It's like that's what I'm saying. He is a he is definitely a fun player to watch. I've been to see some of the games that that I think will be determined at least in part. I mean, not, obviously not by a single player, but but by how certain players handle being challenged. In some cases, being challenged in a way they've never been challenged to this point in the season. Uh, there's been a lot of love and attention given to Josh Rosen, and not. You know, not without reason. Um, he's played uh, not great, 
all the time, but he's played exceptionally well for a, a true freshman and has had some freshman moments, not unexpectedly because he's a freshman. But for the most part, he's showed, displayed, you know, a level of poise and, and understanding of what defenses are doing that far outstrips not only many freshman quarterbacks that you may see, but also many, you know, of the upper class and quarterbacks that you see out there. For him to – what do you think has to happen for him to continue to to look like a person that some people are already talking about in the future – first overall selection? What has to happen for him to continue on that track? Um, he says to become consistent, more consistent week to week, uh, be more... Here's the thing. When they went into that Virginia game, Josh Rosen played like a guy who pretty much knew everything Virginia was going to do against them and countered everything. Um, it was... Amazing to watch that game, honestly, and also yeah. showed his his ball placement, uh, which is pretty much the best college football. Um, when he's on, he's on. It's just ridiculous. Um, it's the level with his, with his, and I think that that's something that if he continues to show that, whether it's this year, next year, three years from now, um, that's that's really the special quality of his to be able to put the ball in a spot uh, where only his guy can get it uh, and do it all over the football field. So um, I think that that, those are the main things that he kind of needs to carry with him. What he needs to improve upon is just, I think a lot of the the issues he's had uh, bumps in the road have been against teams that showed him certain things he's not seen before uh, coverage wise. I think he's also had issues in terms of uh, trying to force it too much. Um, He's been in some games where I think he felt like he had to win the game, you know, or he had to make a play. He had to to do everything, you know, um, in some games. And and, and then to a point where it hurt him, where he was throwing bad, throwing bad and making bad throws, um, not – following through with his throws. Um, he's willing to take the hit to deliver the football, but then again, there was also sort of a sense that, uh, especially with Virginia, he had one where he took the hit to deliver the football. There was also another sense where he got hit, and I could see it was kind of getting to him a little bit. So I think mental toughness is something that probably should be developed a little bit more um, in terms of just, kind of shaking stuff off at times. He's a pretty even-kill guy. It's just there was sometimes where I saw him take a hit, and he was a little annoyed by it. Uh, but not annoyed <laughs> in like, a, I'm going to get you back way. Annoyed in like, come on, man, why did you have to hit me? Like, you know, type of way. So uh, I, <laughs> I think there's that. But I was, that's just what it is. I think Rosen, the big thing for him is he just needs to improve his ability to uh, – to one to to master the ways of de- defeating every defense he goes up against, and uh, to to just get kids be consistent week to week uh, is what it really comes down to. Um, is every week come in, attack every every game the same way, and that's probably another thing. It probably was too. I think 
they had a lot of, you know, again, the first game of the year, so you're going to have a lot of time to prepare for that game. And then the other games, they probably probably didn't prepare as, as well against those other sort of games. So we did play as well. You know, we just went into those games not knowing, kind of winging it a little bit, and then got burned for it on occasion. So, but that's really what it comes down to. In terms of pure, like I said, in terms of pure arm talent with the ball placement on those types of throws, it's special. It's better than yeah. pretty much everybody college football right now. <laughs> Yeah. I think where he needs to improve upon is just the mental parts of the game and also the maturity of just the mental toughness aspects of the game is where he needs to improve. But, I mean, we got lots of time to do that, so we'll see. Right. But, uh, I, I, but I still view him as uh, the next coming of whatever, you know. I don't know. Um, we'll see what he becomes, but... So far, he has shown uh, that he has um, elite qualities at the quarterback position. Uh, it's just a matter of if he can uh, get to the point where he's mentally there as well as physically. Who does Rosen remind you of? And I know it's early on. I mean, you've seen the guy play, you know, two games, three games tops, obviously, because he played, I guess, three games or whatever. Um, but, but – is there someone that you see a little bit of when you watch him? People compare him to, you know, Peyton Manning and crazy stuff like that. But who's he? Who do you see when you look at? Um, oh, I see. Peyton Manning's not bad. Um, I would say probably closer to uh, to Tom Brady, really. Um, yeah. Sure. And I say that because a lot like Brady, because they he doesn't have a oh, my gosh, arm, cannon, whatever you want to call it. No, he does not. Nothing like it. He doesn't have to have it that way. Because what he does so well, like Brady, is he puts the ball in a spot consistently um, in game, you know, like just go to the Virginia game, where you're seeing him make these boundary throws, post throws, just these throws to spots where, again, it's, perfect placement of the football uh, to a spot and uh, doesn't have – it's not flying in there like crazy. It's not John Elway level arm strength. But no, it, no, it's not. It's the perfect touch. It's the perfect touch throw in the intermediate area, in the deep area, in every sort of area. So it's really more so Tom Brady. I mean, Peyton Manning, because I saw Peyton Manning when he was younger, I guess, yeah, because I went back in Summit, Tennessee. I kind of know what that looks like, and I'm like, okay, you're just saying that he looks like Peyton because he, his arm is that, right? Because he's good. But because he's good. Peyton used <laughs> to have a much better arm, you know, um, yes. before the, you know, nerve damage. So, uh, but when I watch Rosen, I, I see more Tom Brady. I see more that just ability to uh, – you know, just the ability to hit those sort of ball placements. Because that's really what made Tom Brady. I mean, every time we watch Tom Brady, and of course, some people are going to go, oh, it's dink and dunk. That's all that stuff. Yeah, it's dink and dunk that'll continually move the chains over and over again until you get to touchdown. So it's, um, and it's not like you can't throw it deep. It's just, you know, you have to have deep threats. But I just say that that that's who we kind of most, just just from a pure arm perspective, um, 
And, you know, in size, too. I mean, he's not exactly as big as Brady, but, I mean, he could get up to there, you know. He's not like Jared Goff, you know. Um, Maybe he has five, ten more pounds than Goff. So, he's a little bigger than Goff, but he's not a giant. You know, once again, he's, oh, what, he, he's not even 19 yet, right? Or, he, he hasn't right. even turned 19, though. He's 18 years old, yeah. Well, he's, he's you know, he's a young guy. Um, but, you know, it doesn't, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's really that. Because um, that, that's, like I said, that's where the league quality is. Because, I mean, you know, some people say Matt Ryan or this or that. Matt Ryan is good, but he just doesn't have quite the same ball placement as right. consistently where you get into a hot streak. Like, Rosen's hot streaks are something that Matt Ryan never had hot streak-wise. Um, you know, where you have eight, ten throws in a row that are just on the money over and over and over again. So, uh, that's and also with the deep pass as well. So, I mean, I would just say it's more so Brady, you know, which is not bad, I don't think, if he became sort of Tom Brady. I don't think that's bad. No, no, I agree, not bad. I could live with, with that. Well, <laughs> the one thing he won't have that Brady has is he probably won't go in the seventh round, sixth round, and crawl and scratch to get to keep his job. Um, so that's the only difference, of course, is that Brady has always been slighted as a you know football player. Uh, right, two star athlete, better at baseball. Looked like he was locked out of the weight room at Michigan. <laughs> Uh, yeah. But yeah, right, right. My <laughs> room not pretty boys. This is for the men. So yeah, um, he doesn't have to deal. He's not gonna have that stuff, that extra little. Now, does that mean you have to have that? No, not necessarily. I mean, Peyton Manning. You know, I don't think Peyton Manning. It's like that. You know, everybody says they said he would never do it. Like, really? Who told Peyton Manning that he would never? Um, <laughs> A good quarterback. Well, I don't think anyone's ever said that. People who saw Peyton Manning at nine thought he'd be one day an NFL quarterback. Exactly. So that's kind of what I mean. So you don't necessarily have to have that drive, that factor of you're slighted and you're trying to prove everybody wrong. But that, but that's kind of where the difference is, is that Josh Rosen's probably not going to have that chip on his shoulder sort of. Well, who knows, but he's not going to have that sort of thing where he has to prove everybody wrong, which is why, you know, when everybody was saying Tom Brady wasn't a late quarterback last year, I said, we'll see, you know. Um, I don't think you should tell Tom Brady that in public, but okay, and do all these articles about how he sucks now. He's not good. I don't think Tom Brady – I think Tom Brady is going to uh, – I think Tom Brady's going to win the Super Bowl to remind you what he is. So, uh, in a way – but uh, yeah, but I would say that that's that's gonna be Josh Rosen. Josh Rosen is gonna be the less petulant um, Tom Brady yes. possible. Right. I love you put that less petulant, but he'll he'll have a lot less to be petulant about. I don't think they're gonna bring in some other 
five star next year to push it. You know, I think I think they know what they have and they're probably satisfied. Yeah, exactly. You know, and the difference between him and Christian Hackenberg is that, you know, people, okay, again, I went back, I've seen freshman tape for Christian Hackenberg a lot. Yeah. Can he make really good intermediate throws at times? Yeah. But he didn't have the same sort of ball placement or touch. That's a big difference. Hackenberg doesn't have touch at all consistently on short passes, on intermediate passes. On deep passes, right. any of them, right? So they're all the same to me. The Christian Hackenberg story, <laughs> and you were the one. I think it was you that first made the, you know, really he's just a more beloved by draft Twitter version of Logan Thomas. You, I think, were the one that made that comparison first, and people won't like it, as you probably already know. Oh no! Well, because you have you have Hackite. Or not Hackites. Um, yeah, hack- the Hackenburgers. Hack- yes, the Hackenburgerites or whatever you want to call them, the Hackenburger hack- Brigade. Hack- the Hackers. <laughs> right. Yeah, whatever. Um, those people who watch him and they go, that's the best quarterback I've ever seen in my entire life. And I go, wow, you've not been here that long, huh? But, you know, uh, he's. But yeah, I mean, but that's really the difference. Is Chris Hackenberg has a lot of physical tools. Yeah. Honestly, when I saw Christian Hackenberg this year, especially, I see Bizarro Manning is what I see. I see Peyton Manning, but if Peyton Manning didn't know how to throw short passes that well, and Peyton Manning <laughs> just made the wrong decision in pre-snap and post-snap. Well, here's here's the funny thing. Here's the funny thing. Now, there's certain things that people put the blame all you know, name a place. But I just watched, it's funny, the last thing I watched before this started was the San Diego State Penn State game. And there's a a situation where his line gives him, it's not awesome protection, but enough time for him to find, you know, he gets to go from his first to his second target. And he lets his feet go utterly, completely dead. I mean, dead. You know, like, you know, you know that thing that Peyton Manning does, you get Bizarro with the, you know, the sewing machine the exact opposite of it. I mean, John Freeze, Derek Anderson special dead. His feet just turned to stone, basically. And then, kind of, he turns his trunk without taking his lower half with him and throws a ball behind a receiver. And that's not James Franklin's fault, people. That's, that's not the fault of the scheme. That wasn't the fault of his offensive line. He made his way to, he was trying to get to his third read without taking the lower half of his body with him, but his offensive line gave him enough time. The 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 play design wasn't, you know, I mean, Bill Walsh wouldn't rise from the grave to take notes, but it wasn't the scheme, it wasn't the it wasn't anything. It was it was him. <laughs> you know? He had enough time and in fact there was a flag on the play for um uh, one of their safeties on that single thing I'm talking about grabbed, what's his name, uh, 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 Kyle uh, Carter there. Tied oh, in the yeah. plane, bailed him out. But, 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 I mean, I was focusing on just his mechanics. And mechanics aren't I, I refuse to believe that James Franklin said to him, hey, when you readjust to the top half of your body, do nothing with your lower half. Just stay right there from here down. Don't take your feet or 
transfer your weight or anything. I, can't, I refuse to believe he taught him that. Well, you know, it's good that you point that out because Derek Lawson didn't pick that out. So, you know, much of, I mean, it's I, – but I honestly, though, I think it's a combination of things. One, Hackenberg's mechanics have been all over the place. And this is going back to his freshman year. Um, yeah. Two, he – from a decision-making standpoint, raw. You know, um, now he's gotten better. I think he's gotten better over the couple – I mean, that's the one thing I would say. It's funny to say that, but it's true. His decision-making yeah, has gotten a little bit better freshman year. Uh, the issue is that what we already kind of pointed out is that sometimes he'll make the right decision or the wrong decision, but he's not he's not making the throws that he needs to make to make those decisions good decisions. <laughs> and two, it's just from this. Like, it's just basic. It's just basically this. Um, one of the things that was so striking for Packerberg when I was getting into him coming into the season was the short accuracy uh, and touch was wildly inconsistent. That's not something that your short accuracy should be your one of your best qualities, you know, in, in you. I mean, it's you should you shouldn't have these breakdowns uh, where you're kind of messing up a screen pass, you're messing up this, you're messing up that. Like, that should not happen, especially when there's no pressure. Um, where you're just doing the screen pass, but you decided to just, you know, do whatever the hell that was with your arm and your feet and cause it to bleh out, and then it just kind of sails in there, and then the running back or wide receiver gets nailed immediately. So it's that. I mean, offensive line, although – People blame it, and there's reason to blame. I mean, they've been in games where they lost one-on-one matchups, but then again, he wasn't giving her the football quick enough. Um, he's not been a guy to really hit checkdowns that much, and he's also not been a guy to really throw the football away, too. So, I don't know. That, but that that's the main difference. Because I know a lot of people go, oh, Josh Rosen, he's going to become Hackenberg. I don't think that's really the case. Mm-hmm. The big the big difference between Hackenberg and Rosen is touch and anticipation, yeah. which is something that Hack never really had. Don't you know? Even in his first year, he was more so a see it and throw it guy. You know, Allen Robinson is I see him open. You know, throw it in there, right? Get it nice. in there and do that. Um, but he never really developed that anticipatory action or with the touch necessary to really get better from that point on. And then he just became this, what he is now, which is this sort of broken quarterback that people still mock in the top 15 of the draft. Um, you know, it's, I don't get it. I, it's, uh, and I, and the only reason I said Logan Thomas is because all the same uh, problems Logan Thomas had as a passer are in Hackenberg, you know, Logan Thomas, a lot of Logan Thomas's issues at Virginia Tech had to do with touch, had to do with um, consistent accuracy across the board, uh, had, to, had to deal with him always trying to 
throw the fastball in situations where he shouldn't throw the fastball. Um, I mean, where you're throwing a – you have a slant and you're throwing it so fast in there that the wide receiver can barely adjust to it and it pops up in the air. Um, I've seen that out of heck a ton as well, where it's like you don't need to drill it in that fast, guy. Right, uh, you, right. You need to take a little Which is a very – very Logan Thomasy thing. Yeah, it's something Hack does as well. So, um, but but and who knows? Maybe Rosen, maybe Rosen sucks. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> but I just think that from what I've seen, uh, just from a just from a touch a ball place that touch perspective, and all that other kind of stuff, uh, if he just gets better at the mental side of the game, um, he's gonna be good. Hack, on the other hand, you're talking about a complete rebuilding from the ground up, you know, starting with his confidence, because I think he's lost that. Right. He's not the same Hackenberg. That's why people are giving up on him. They're like, well, he lost his confidence, so, you know, he's not going to get that back. You know, like, it's that sort of thing. Try <laughs> giving up on him. Even the people that loved him are giving up on him, which I'm not saying that, you know, right. you should right. give up on him. I, I just think that you need to just realize that your initial evaluation on him was a little flawed. You know? A little too You're kind of expecting things of him to do that he that you thought were going to be easy to pick up, which probably weren't as easy as you thought they were to pick up. But uh, I don't know. Yeah. But, I mean, Rosen's going to be a good player. At least at the very least I think he'll be a good quarterback in the next level. But whether he becomes a lead or not, that's what what will be answered, I guess, in the next couple of years. Yeah. Um so I guess a couple more guys to touch on. Um like I said, I've obviously talked about my, my affection for Paxton Lynch and he's not a perfect prospect, don't get me wrong. I just watched two games of Memphis back to back, including you know the the Cincinnati game and the uh, oh the other game I just watched um, sleep deprivation kids it affects your memory but uh, whatever the other game I watched it like two something in the morning and can't seem to remember and it, once again things that I like big kid good athlete certain amount of, of toughness, uh, can make a variety of throws. Does he occasionally stare it down? Oh, yes. He does occasionally stare it down. Uh, does he sometimes miss wild high? Uh, yes. Yeah, he sometimes. But usually when he misses, he misses the way you'd want a guy to miss. I mean, in that he tends to throw it away from the defense. That's what I have noticed. When he does miss, he's not missing behind the guy with the defender behind him or missing in front of the guy with a safety coming, you know, into the play. He tends to miss away from the defense. So even though you, I take some points off for, you know, for missing, because, you know, not quite what, it's not what you want, I do take maybe half of the points that I would take if you're missing into the teeth of the defense. And I think to this point, he still doesn't have an interception, if I remember correctly, on the year. Uh, he has a couple of balls that like, could have been intercepted. I mean, I guess the term interceptable ball is a thing now. He's had a couple of those this season. Uh, 
<laughs> I'm sorry. The whole interceptable ball thing, it's like what's next? The uh, potential fumble? Yes, you know? that was a fumbleable carry. <laughs> he could have fumbled. He was on the verge of fumbling. But he didn't fumble. What about the near-miss tackle? He just got that guy. He barely got him by the ankle. He almost broke that tackle. Yeah, almost. I'm going to start keeping that stat. That's what I'm going to do. That's a Trent Richardson stat right there. He almost (laughs) broke it. He almost got away. You see this right here? He was this close. You see this right here? If he had just done this, he would have broke it and got 10 yards. It would have been off to the races. And he had 100 of those plays. More so than any other player. In- he oh. led the league in almost broken tackles. Exactly. Look, interceptions are interceptions, guys. Period. There's this interceptable stuff is, I don't mean to say garbage, but it's <laughs> either throw a pick or you don't throw a pick. If you don't throw a pick, and, and and by the way, if if you're like trying to go, well, I'm trying to figure out who to throw more picks in the future. Well, then wait for the future to get here, and then go. Wow, he's averaging 20 interceptions a year. You know, for the past two years, that's a lot of interceptions. Versus, you know, he only threw 12 interceptions, but man, he had he was top five in interceptable ball. You know what I'm saying? So it's it's a little, and plus there's not a real clear definition of what it is. I've asked a lot of people what an interceptable ball is. I still can't get a straight answer. Some people say it's well, it's a ball that you're throwing, you know, the 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 DB dropped it or something like that, um, which is probably a little bit better to define it as that. But then there's all these other sort of things. It's like, well, it's not just that. It's when you throw into this type of or you throw into that. Like, either throw a pick, you don't throw a pick. Pretty simple, you know. So, um, I think that that's that's just what it, what it boils down to. Uh, and I, as much as people want to do, it's always people want to do these advanced stats stuff like that, and yet they're not easily definable stats. Like that's no, they stats. they can't that's, they can't be defined. That's the whole point. That's what makes them so much fun. <laughs> Because they're impossible. It's they're like love, they're or or uh, what uh, or um, beauty. They're always going to be in the eye of the beholder. Exactly, you know. And 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 sure, there's lots of people who go, and I've heard this a lot as well. Where they're like, well, all stats, stuff, you know, stats based analysis is, you know, uh, subjective. Well, yeah. no, I'm presenting you facts. And if you don't want to take this back, that's fine. But I'm not trying to say that based on all this stuff, he's going to be a good player. I'm just saying that based on these statistical parameters, he ended up in an area where there's this percentage of successful players. And, you know, there you go. But I'm not I'm not saying that, oh, I mean, now, if I make the argument that because of this, he's going to be a great player, that's a lot harder to do. Because you have to have extra stuff to that, which is where the film stuff comes into it. But right. to just present stuff from a perspective of this is the percentages he hit into this percentage, those are kind of facts, you know. <laughs> those aren't right. 
subjective. Nothing subjective about that. But, so I think that, uh, which I always think is kind of funny when people kind of, you know, challenge me on certain things and they're like, oh, well, how do you know Mary Lee Watson was that? And all of those, well, it's facts. Yeah, right. Well, there was the tape and then there was the numbers. <laughs> you had both things yeah. in that case. <laughs> yeah. Which one do you, I mean, do you prefer? <laughs> which, I know. Which would you prefer? Would you prefer the facts or would you prefer the tape? Because we can argue about the tape till we're blue in the face, but the, the facts are always going to be facts. Can't fight the facts. You know, that there hasn't been a starting offensive lineman with his athleticism traits. But you can fight the tape. You can fight the tape. Oh, you can fight that tape forever if you want. But uh, the facts, the tape. But, um, but yeah, interceptable balls, I, I just, I don't, I don't get it. Um, and, and also, it doesn't look too good for Kyan this year because you know, Chase Bridgewater has been throwing picks and their car really hasn't been thrown picks. So, what gives, man? I thought this was supposed. To, I thought the guy who threw the least interceptable balls last year was supposed to not throw interceptions anymore. So it's hmm. like it does. It doesn't matter. All that matters is if you throw picks or not. I don't even care if if you throw a ball and the DB drops the ball. That that doesn't prove anything because probably if you're doing that a lot, you're gonna have a lot of picks, right? I mean, if you're if you're consistently throwing the ball in the direction of a DB who catches it and drops it, eventually one of those DBs is going to get smart and catch it. I mean, right, otherwise right. you're really, really, really lucky. You're one <laughs> lucky SOB. <laughs> if your entire Hall of Fame career is built on drilling DBs in the chest, but they always drop it. <laughs> Even Brock didn't accomplish that, so... Um, you know, he was always a guy that kind of threw a lot of picks, but you don't say that he led the NFL in interceptable balls. You just go there, hey, he's Brett Favre. Sometimes he nails it in there, sometimes he doesn't. Um, you know, he throws a lot of picks because he's, you track it. You look at the facts, how many picks he threw. And the same thing with sacks. I, I don't – I get pressure sort of stuff, but I don't like it because you either get the quarterback on the ground or you don't get the quarterback on the ground. There's really right. no – I mean, uh, there's certain guys, because of their quarterbacking style, are going to – I mean, Ben Roethlisberger is a perfect example, right? He's going to have some ridiculous pressure percentage per drop back. Well, every five times he drops back, he's pressured three times. Well, yeah, that's his thing. <laughs> now, they've gotten the ball out faster more recently. I mean, that's supposedly the innovation that Todd Haley brought with him, but nonetheless – you know, he's hurt. The the thing for me about pressure, as you pointed out, you're, you're looking for facts. I mean, that's the whole point of statistics. It is an incredibly poorly defined statistic. <laughs> you know, what's, one, what's a pressure to somebody might not be a pressure to someone else. Is making the quarterback adjust his feet, is that pressure? Is almost touching the quarterback pressure? Is getting in his sight line pressure is breathing on him so that he feels your presence pressure. What is pressure? And how is it different from a hurry? Those people complain about other statistics. Those are my two favorite, two least favorite. So a pressure and a hurry. I see these things given separately to, to pass rushers. And I say to myself, where's the line between those two things? 
I don't know, you know. Um, I guess pressure is pressure and hurries is the quarterback hurries. I don't know. Um, but don't quarterbacks always hurry when they're pressured? I mean, help me to understand this. Or if a guy is really calm, do you not get the pressure? Do you not get the hurry You if, he's, if he doesn't care that you're putting pressure on? I mean, how does that work? No, it depends. It depends on the situation and, and the context within the play and blah, 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 blah. But, have you, yeah, I as far as I'm concerned, a sack is a sack. Yep. What it is. It's quarterback on the ground. Plays dead. Yep. That's the point of a sack. If you get a lot of sacks, you're pretty good at sacking people. Doing <laughs> yes. That. If you don't get a lot of sacks, you're not so good. And it doesn't matter how many times you almost get there and get your hands up and almost. Hey, disruption there. is production. Didn't you read the manifesto? Well, you know. I read that manifesto, and then I did my own research, and production is production. It doesn't sound as cute. It's not as cute. It's not as cute. It's not as cute of a name. That's the thing. All my stuff, I need to have cute names for them, and then people right. will be like, "Oh, you know, like I was going to do interception perception, you know." And, and yes, you should do that. Still, Matt Harmon's, you know, uh, formula, and then do whole little article things called interception perception. And then be like, you know, well, I mean, he's got nothing better to do. You know, he has a lot of work to do with reception perception, but, um, which is awesome. You guys should do that. It's really, you know, it's basically charting, but he does a really good job of that. But, uh, yeah, yes. it, it's just that I, like I said, I don't like these, I just, I don't know. I just don't like these sort of mind games, mental gymnastics of what, players are doing on the field new statistics to put into the statistics when they're really faulty statistics, you know, they're really not, they're just, you know, you sack the quarterback, you don't sack the quarterback, you throw interception, you don't throw interception, you catch a touchdown or you don't catch a touchdown. It's really that simple, guys. Um, And that's why when people talk about drops, even with wide receivers. Oh, he had a 12% drop rate. Oh, he had a 10% drop rate. Yeah, but he caught 15 touchdowns and had 1,200-plus yards. So does it matter that he dropped 10% of his passes? Are you showing me the statistical relevance of dropping 10% of his passes? No. We're keeping no. Terrell Owens out of the Hall of Fame because he had a drop percentage of 8.6% or exactly. whatever. But you're not even showing me the point. You're not like showing here's all the wide receivers that had ten percent drop rate and and this is the records of the teams that had these like you're not even showing me that stuff. Which is really what matters is what gets you wins. What gets you wins is scoring points, not turning the football over and you know, getting a decent amount of yards in the football field because usually when you get a lot of yards on the football field you get more opportunities to score points. So it's really that simple. Score points prevent them from scoring points, and make sure you don't turn the football over. All Aha. All the Super Bowl <laughs> I think you're on to something, Jim. <laughs> all the Super Bowl teams, you know, like seven out of ten, because I actually did this because I was – because, you know, everybody was roasting PFF because of the Aaron Rodgers thing. Of course. Um, and they're like, how could a guy who throws five touchdown passes 
throws for 300-plus yards. People watch the game and go, wow, that Aaron Rodgers is amazing. Get a negative .8 grade. And you go, yeah, why is that? And the more you look into it, the more you kind of go, well, what is throwing a what is throwing this dig versus this slant? How does that affect the outcome of winning the football game or not? It really doesn't. What affects football games? Touchdowns and preventing people from scoring and not turning the football over. And I mean, when I when I went through and just did all the, I did it for like every single team for ten years on senior sample size, and seven of the top ten Super Bowl winning teams were in the. Uh, yeah, they were in the 90 percentile of uh, of uh, oh yeah, went, well yeah. it was the uh, margin of victory. Yeah, margin of victory. So, how many points you score versus how many points you allow, and all and it makes sense. You know, the Steelers were that they scored more points than they allowed because their defense was great. Uh, the Saints were that during that one season. Uh, the Patriots have always been that consistently. That's the one thing I'll tell you about Belichick. He's probably probably pissed off because for like six, seven straight years, he had one of the best margin of victories out of any team and yet only has one Super Bowl to show for it, So, uh, which is kind of bad. But it's, you know, but, you know, yeah, kind of is what it is. But the basic point is this, is that that is actual grounded facts. For if I was actually going to do a PFF rating, I would have, certain things like, uh, you know, focusing on every touchdown, give a point for how many touchdowns a guy throws, right, or or how many touchdowns a running back has or how few turnovers he like how big, how significant is a turnover because there is statistical today which just show that turning the football over does reduce your chances of winning football games, which every coach knows, but I'm just saying that there's actually statistical significance to this. So, that's actual statistical analysis basis of stuff. All this other stuff is just charting games and there you go, right? I mean, that's really what it is. You're charting games and you're basically going, well, you know, I thought they should have done this and this is why the grade's like this. Uh, which is fine, but it's not necessarily helping you be predictive. It's not helping you... It can help you learn stuff, but then again... We didn't learn anything from the Aaron Rodgers negative point eight grade. We just kind of learned that that's how they grade. But but with Paxton Lynch, just to get into him, I mean, I I do uh, I like him. Um, I the consistency of his accuracy is a little. That's my only big hiccup with him. Um, is just that he he can throw it short well. Uh, intermediate's fine, a deep's fine, but he isn't always consistently hitting intermediate areas uh, as well in terms of his ball placement consistently. He is putting in a spot where only his guy can get it, but it's not always on the money to those types of places uh, all the time. Um, but what has he done this year? Well, he's just made great decisions, I believe. Uh, he's hit check downs. He's uh, throwing the football away when he when he's had to, uh, and uh, and pocket presence has been, um, I 
he has Zach Mettenberger like pocket presence where I don't get a great sense and I'll just have to watch more of him, but I don't get the best sense that he really senses pass rushers as well as I think he needs to at times where he kind of, the pass rush is coming and it almost seems like he doesn't even notice it, Um, which maybe he does notice it. And he's just, you know, that he's just that kind of statuesque quarterback that notices it, but just doesn't care. But I just have seen a couple of instances where the pass rush is kind of getting there and he doesn't really uh, notice it at all. Like doesn't really adjust. React. To it. Right. Doesn't adjust, uh, doesn't yeah. adjust, doesn't react, doesn't reset, none of that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, which isn't a bad thing to have. I mean, there's lots of quarterbacks that are like that. It's just, I just wish he kind of reacted a little more, you know, stepping up at the pocket a little more, uh, you know, adjusting yourself a little bit to the, you know, just stuff like that. Um, as an athlete, I think he's fine. I know people go and goo goo gaga over his athleticism as a quarterback if you can. Well, I mean, that was a goo goo gaga. Like I said, in the Osweiler mold, I guess. I mean, He's not, you know, a freak, but he's a pretty good athlete for especially for a guy his size. I know, that's what everybody says, for a guy his size. So, I mean, that's fine. I mean, I'm not saying he's a bad athlete. I gave him points for getting yards of his legs. So, there you go. Um, I, you know, of course, only about five points, you know, but still, you know, he has some points for being able to get yards of his legs. When the pocket collapses, and when he's also leaving the pocket, um, and the only other thing—I mean, the only other negative—I guess was just that whenever he's uh, running to his left or running to his right, his accuracy on the run isn't always on point, a hundred percent. And I forgot—I don't know my notes would be—but it was one instance where he was consistently kind of—I don't know if it was running to his left or to his right. But when he was running and then trying to throw to his left, I believe he kind of wasn't the most accurate on those types of throws. But overall, I mean, I had a pretty good grade for him. I mean, he he was about 86 based on the Cincinnati game. Um, I saw him against uh, – I also saw him against an earlier game this year. I don't know if it was Georgia – it wasn't Georgia Southern. It was some other sort of team that's like FCS sort of team. But uh, I'm mean, gonna like him. I think, yeah, he has the arm. He has all that kind of stuff. Uh, he's just kind of a little rougher on the edges uh, in terms of everything he does. But he, you know, he's he's good. He's a good player. Yeah, it's it's funny you mentioned rougher on the edges and the comparison that they made on the last game um, with with uh, what's his name uh, Mac Mac Brown on the call with uh, I can't remember the guy that was with him in the booth, but. Uh, they whipped out, of all people, um, Colin Kaepernick. Now, I have two issues with that. Uh, one is that Colin Kaepernick was a rare athlete uh, in the quarterback position. And, and as big a Paxton Lynch fan as I am, he's not even in that realm, athletically Dude, speaking. Colin Kaepernick and Paxton Lynch. And that's even yes. saying something, you know, like, mm, really? Carson Lynch? Colin Kaepernick? Really? Yeah, yeah I... I my hackles, you know how I am about sloppy comparisons. That's one of my pet peeves. So it, my hackles were raised a bit uh, because of that. Now, the, the only part of that that does hold together a little bit 
is the great narrative about Kaepernick, of course, is how raw he is. He's so raw, 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 raw. And Lynch is more raw than Kaepernick was, uh, at least Kaepernick, the one that entered the NFL draft. He's more, you know, he's more raw than that guy. You could argue that he's maybe about as raw as Kaepernick was in his redshirt sophomore season or something like that. But the things that hold together about it, you know, he's, like I said, you know, he's got a, both of them have big arms, so I think Kaepernick has the, the edge in terms of just pure elite-level arm. I mean, I think in Lynch you have a guy who has a well-above-average, very good arm. He can make, quote-unquote, all the throws, and even some throws that you would never really need. I mean, throws that you probably wouldn't need very often, at least, in an actual football game. But is it the ridiculous level, you know, sort of like the elite level, you know, double-plus level that, that Kaepernick's arm is? I would say no to that. But in a year where people are sort of losing hope or whatever in quarterback position uh, from the draftable prospects, I will not be surprised if his name begins to pick up. In fact, I, I already his name is beginning to pick up some momentum where it can use. And of as course. The, and as the quote-unquote big names begin to discover him, I expect that to accelerate. Well, yeah. I mean, come on, guys. I mean, he's he's big. He's white. Uh, he has very tall. Yeah. Yeah, he's a big tall white guy, and uh, hasn't thrown a pick. I mean, come on. That's a first round pick if I've ever seen one. <laughs> but, um, but I mean, ah. I you know I don't know. Um, the worst thing that happened. The, the thing is though, Bill, is that Paxton Lynch is a junior. Um, Jared Goff is a junior. Yep. So like these guys may not even declare, and then we're just stuck with Jacoby Brissett and <laughs> names. So <laughs> have you forgotten yeah. Cutter Cook so quickly? who a lot of people had number one overall. Well, a lot. Some people had number one overall on their boards. Sure. Uh, I mean, you know, those smash concepts. Connor Cook and those smash concepts. Oof, amazing. Yep. Um, He's really good at, at that. Really good at that, but everything else is a little me. But um, I, I don't know. But, but I like, again, I like Paxton Lynch. I like him. Um, we'll see what else happens. So, uh, but obviously he's played. What I like is that based on last year, last year I saw Pax Lynch, I was like, eh, eh. Yeah. He, he's um, definitely gotten better, yeah. Kind of, and then I saw him even before in 2013 um, where Memphis was a bad football team uh, overall. But um, it's getting better. Obviously it's getting better. You know they're five and zero right now, so duh. But uh, yeah, this is this is definitely something to watch. I don't know how tall he is though. I know I know people keep saying he's six foot six or six foot seven. Or he's, well, he's. Uh, I, I mean, I don't buy six foot seven, but I think he's at the shortest. He's six five and seven eight, and he's probably a little over six foot six. I don't know. Well, we'll, we'll see. Um, I don't even don't like my Matt Chabi sort of. Comparison, but I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I didn't, I didn't, I, could, I haven't warmed up to the. Maybe I will. I haven't warmed up to your match comparison yet. I mean, if you'd said a more athletic Derek Anderson, I would have probably been 
a little more on board. Uh, I don't know. I mean, like, I'm more athletic than Menberger, you know. Actually, that's not a bad comparison. Um, yeah, I, I, even even taller and more athletic version of Mettenberger is pretty darn close to who he is. Yeah. Um, of course, Mettenberger is much more... Um, that's something I'll say about Lynch. Is Mettenberger would do some throws where you're kind of like, oh, God, no, don't do that. <laughs> um, so Lynch doesn't do that as much. Which is why he has so many kicks. Uh, so, but yeah. Uh, the, the term Steve writes is YOLO ball. You get the occasional YOLO ball. Those at the police at the desk level like that. You don't see as much like that. Uh, right. Like I have to. But it's the thing I like about Lance, though, is that he hasn't thrown YOLO balls. Which is a good thing. You shouldn't be throwing YOLO balls. Especially now. You know, in the new NFL. You shouldn't be throwing YOLO balls. But, yeah. I don't know. We'll see what happens with him, but he's definitely played well. Um, and at least right now, as a top five quarterback, at least draftable right now, eligible, whatever you want to call him. So, right. Yeah. I don't think a lot of your top five most draft eligible quarterbacks. Like, who do you have? How many people can you have above him? I would like to see who those other people are. <laughs> That's what, I, what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, you could have Joe Stavey. Oh. oh. I mean, House suppose Stavey. you have Boykin above him. I could accept Boykin, I guess. Um, I suppose you could put Brissette above him. Uh, I guess Connor Cook's fans may want to put Cook above him. And then you've got Goff. Right. Who else could you possibly put above him, right? I mean, I can't see. I'm thinking hard here. Who else Jacob could you put Coker. above him amongst draft eligible? I mean, Jacob Coker, maybe. <laughs> oh, Joe, you are a caution. Yeah, there's really nobody else. Um, so, he's kind of top five by default, kind of. You know, maybe not by default, but by... I know what you mean. There's, it's hard to think of... Like I said, it's a challenge to think of too many more people listening to put above it. I, I I agree with that. Yeah. So, well, there you go, Paxton Lynch. Enjoy your top five myths for now. You know, we'll see. Maybe Joe Stave, <laughs> carves, maybe Joe Stave carves up uh, a team, which is another thing, you know, I want to I, I wonder if that'll ever be said this season. Jostave carves up uh, the senior bowl squad. You know, I don't know. We'll see. But, yeah, there's not not a ton of uh, – uh, I mean, there's not a ton of quarterbacks this year. I don't think it's that bad. I mean, kid, it's not as bad as last year. It You know, I mean, last year was pretty bad quarterback-wise. I think it's be better, you know. Right. I mean, last year sure. you had Mark Mariota, you had James Winston, Bryce Petty, Brett Hundley, and a bunch of people. Rakeem Cato, 
never was going to be given a shot, and he never was. Um, right. Correct. <laughs> and Brandon Bridge was the sick obsession people had that finally went away once they actually saw him play. Even after the Tom play, they still had their obsession, but still. Um, you know, he had people going, oh, I think he could be a first-round pick. He could be a top. Uh, yeah. Be, you know, day two pick. Draft him and develop him, people. Okay. Okay. You want to do that? You guys, you hated Logan Thomas last year. What's wrong with you? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was what bothered me. Is some of the same people who had terrible, some of you even unfair things to say about Logan Thomas, suddenly were falling in love with Brandon Bridge, who was a more raw, less developed version of Logan Thomas. Exactly. It was weird. Um. Garrett Grace, you know, Garrett Saffron, nobody cared. So, you know, because he was FCS quarterback. Um, he's on the Raiders right now, I think, possibly. He was for a minute. It's like practice squad. But, uh, yeah, and then, uh, oh, yeah, Garrett, um, not Garrett, Colorado State quarterback, everybody was calling him. Oh, you're talking about Grayson, um, Garrett Grayson, Grayson. right? Eric Grayson, yeah, who couldn't beat out Luke McCallan for the quarterback spot on the Saints. No. Yet. No, he could we'll not. Um, obviously, Luke McCallan is amazing, so that's why. That's, <laughs> well, Luke but, McCallan uh, is, is a very solid – that's a guy I, I think people sort of slept on a little bit. But, but yes, yeah, so I know what you're saying. He's, he's not – it tells you something. I don't think it was even terribly close, at least not yet. From what I'm hearing from my sources around mm-hmm. the the Saints is that at at this point at least it's not it wasn't terribly close. Mm. Oh, that doesn't sound good. But yeah, I mean this is a bit, I mean this is a better this is a better class because I think you know we'll at least have ten quarterbacks drafted. Yeah, I mean we maybe, have, like, maybe more. Yeah, maybe at least. more. Last year we only had like seven, and one of them yeah. was Trevor Simeon's. That just tells you <laughs> what we had at quarterback last year. This year, and I know that Steve, you know, Steve is all, you know, Steve Moore is all like, oh, you know, handsome backup. So it all sucks. There's backups, but I mean, you need to have backups. You need to have guys that can come in and, you know, perform well and that sort of stuff. Um, and I think there's some guys that can do that. I think Joel Savage is one of those guys that could do that. He could make a living as a Charlie Whitehurst-esque, you know, quarterback, uh, you know, where he kind of floats from team to team and gets traded for a third-round pick by the Seattle Seahawks, and then they ship him back, you know, like, you know something like that. I think that's possible. Uh, so um, we may not have perfect prospects, but, hey, we have more depth. So. Um, yeah, so I mean that—that's the only thing about this class is kind of better. You know, so before we wrap, we'll do a short one because you know we all have much football to watch. Is there anybody consequential, a player that we've overlooked that you think will be a player of consequence? In, in this week of college football? 
You need a player that's going to make a play that's, like, going to change the world or something like that? Well, I don't know about change the world, but consequentially the outcome of, of this week's games, Jeff. That's going to be the outcome of this week's games. Hey, that's an interesting thing to say. Uh, I would say in the... Oh, poor Texas. Hopefully, Stars Stars survives. Um, Alabama game. Mm -hmm. Leonard Floyd. Guy I've not been a big fan of. Um, (laughs) You have not. I'm I'm changing my mind a bit on him only Hmm. because I kind of see as a linebacker, okay? Not as an guy. As a linebacker, right. That understood. You could turn him into this sort of speedy, fast. Uh, have him blitz occasionally, and he'll do exceptionally well. Like turn him into a linebacker, like a guy who's right. not having to deal take with on tackles. Right. Yes. Yeah. Take on offensive tackles for a living. Right. 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 And occasionally line him up against offensive tackles where. There's an obvious mismatch, you know, like when he goes up against uh, the the Andrew Luck tackles, put Leonard Floyd against, you know, them. Uh, put Leonard Floyd up against Anthony Costanzo. Put Leonard Floyd against whoever the right tackle is for Indy. I don't know who it is. Is it Mehort? I guess it's Mehort. Uh, put him up against Mehort and prosper. So, but I think that he, as much as everybody talks about Alabama and their – Offensive linemen and how great they are. Um, they're always been like Stanford in that they're stiff and slow, but powerful. I think that Leonard Floyd could, especially how they use them. They don't. They've kind of learned. They still haven't learned, but they kind of learned a little bit on, on how to set them up for success. He can have a big impact in this game. Uh, with just his pure ability to speed rush and blitz and can cover a little bit. He's not great at it. He doesn't really know what he's doing, but he can kind of make plays at times, you know. He's kind of a guy that is running around in circles and then makes a play and then is just kind of like goes, woohoo, I made a play, but he has no idea how he made it. That's kind of what he is right now. But that that could be something. That could be a difference in that game. Um, I mean, Jordan Jenkins is Jordan Jenkins. I think he'll be able to get pressure. But I do see that Leonard Floyd brings a little extra oomph, um, burst, uh, speed that could really, more so than Eric Stryker, more so than a lot of other guys, um, to where it could have a big impact in that game. Um, and like I said, even though I haven't been the biggest Leonard Floyd fan 100%, I do, I am starting to see what other people are seeing. He's not out on Smith, though. And no, no, better no, no. Parents out on Smith. Well, he's 45 pounds lighter or something than Alvin Smith was at the same point in his collegiate career, if his memory serves me correctly. And I wonder if these people even watch out on Smith, honestly, um, in college. Because Otto Smith in college was tall, lengthy, powerful, yes, fast, so it's you know, and explosive. Larry Floyd is fast, 
but not doesn't have the same length, doesn't have the same height, uh, no. doesn't no nope. power. But just a no. bad comparison to make. Uh, but well, that, you know, you know how I feel about sloppy comparisons, but I, I didn't even know that one was floating around out there. That's nuts. <laughs> That's incredibly it's bad. Just, it's from, and, and it's from people that are like, man, I, I thought you were good, man. I thought you were. I don't know. It's coming from from an analyst. I'm like, man, I thought you were good, man. I thought, I thought you weren't one of those people, but I don't know. We'll see. I mean, to me, the to me the obvious comparison is the the kid at Virginia. You know, if you want to make a comparison, there's your guy. You don't have to go back that far. You know, <laughs> uh-huh. if you're young, you know, it's easy because it, you're going back one year. <laughs> Kids. <laughs> well, I think Floyd is better than him, though. Oh, I, I mean, a better version, but he's that's who he's like. In terms of yeah. quote unquote how he wins, as the kids like to say, but he's yeah. nothing like Alvin Smith. Not nothing, but very little like Alvin Smith. He's not Alvin Smith at all. It's just not. You don't make that comparison, you know. Like that's just. I don't know, but I mean, you'll you'll see it eventually, Bill. Eventually, you will see that comparison. Ugh. I will be um, so unhappy when I see that. Because I I I don't know. I, it's, and who knows how these comparisons get me, but they just do. But yeah, I mean, but, but I, like I said, I, I think that Leonard Floyd in that game can do something that's like, woohoo. Um, Indiana game, Jason Spriggs, man. Um, now this Your guy. Joey Bosa. That, that's, the test come no bigger, but he's a chance to make a lot of money. Can make a lot of money, or probably not lose any money because people thought he was Jason Spriggs, so he sucks anyway. So um, it's right. But when when Phil Savage is watching that game, and Phil Savage is watching that game, it's a chance for him to get to go to the Senior Bowl as opposed to the NFLPA game or East West Shrine. Right. Exactly. Um, I think that that's the thing about the game is that Spriggs could have a huge impact in the running game. Um, and deal with Bosa or not. But, I mean, Spriggs really has nothing to lose, to be honest with you, in this game. Does he get destroyed by Bosa? It's like, well, he's Joey Bosa. You know, you're supposed to do that. If he does really well, or or at least, you know, serviceable, then he rises in the draft and people go, yeah, remember that guy that actually performed well against Bosa this year? Oh, yeah, that Jason Spriggs guy. So, that's, but but also just in terms of that particular game, is Ohio State has not been playing very good football recently, um, on offense specifically. Agreed. Yeah, agreed. Indiana, as much as Sudfield is Sudfield, they could theoretically have a game of the century and pull off the upset of Ohio State where they just are able to run the football, which they were able to do last time. They're able to uh, get some, you know, Stutzel's able to make some decent throws down the football field, challenge Ohio State secondary, uh, and not make mistakes the entire game. Uh, and Indiana's defense can just do enough uh, because Ohio State's already helping them out anyways. 
there's already enough inefficiencies in the offense that that Indiana just has to do a little a little extra do a little extra stuff here and there to get some turnovers, and then that could easily go Indiana's way. Is it going to happen? Probably not. But Jason Spriggs will be a big part of that because he's he's a big part of that running game. You know, he's a big part of you know getting out in space and getting on linebackers. He's a big part of uh, moving people uh, on those plays uh, on uh, on those on those run plays as well. So he's uh he's just a big part of that game. So uh, if they win, he has to have a good game. You know, um, obviously gets Bosa their best player. So. Um, and then Notre Dame. Oh yeah, Notre Dame is all CJ. CJ Procease. Yes. Uh yeah, that he has to have a huge game. Um hundred yard hundred and fifty yards, two hundred yards maybe, um, something like that. And it's and he's been doing it pretty easily, so it's not like I know you're like hundred and fifty yards. Well, he's been doing it a lot, so recently uh so it's not that hard to say that he could do that um but if he does that i think that'll be a big part of the game like texas a&m it's all christian kirk christian kirk life all day every day um, <laughs> I, if he has a big game i don't see how Dak prescott you know because Dak prescott is basically going up against christian kirk that's who's going to who cares who the quarterback is in texas a&m it's just it's christian kirk versus Dak prescott that's what it is and um, if Christian Kirk goes off and has a big game, then Dak Prescott just doesn't have the doesn't have a Christian Kirk. He doesn't even have one of those. Doesn't have a Speedy Knoll. Doesn't have Ricky Seals Jones. Doesn't even have a Josh Reynolds. Really, you know, he just has a poor man's version of Kelvin Benjamin and you know a couple slot receivers. So it's you know, but he but he is but he is playing well. It's just maybe. It's, might be too much, but yeah. But that those are all, I guess, the guys to kind of see if they turn the tides and in, in games and stuff like that. The what the best one being Leonard Floyd. If Georgia wins, a lot of it has to be because Leonard Floyd was getting in the backfield a lot and causing Jacob Gilbert to make mistakes and getting turnovers and capitalizing on those turnovers on offense. Yeah, that's. I, I will be paying a lot of attention to the the Spriggs Bosa matchup. One is because I noticed Spriggs a little bit in the past. Uh, first noticed him back when you know the Latimer and 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 Houston days, and didn't you know give him my full attention. But I was like, oh, you know. And first of all, I just noticed he was bigger than most. Iowa, ta- I mean, Iowa, sorry, uh, Indiana tackles. I've seen the last few years. That's the first thing I remember about him. I don't remember much about him in terms of technique or things like that. But I remember sort of saying, you know, oh, Sprague's kid, you know, you know, sort of just a big, 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 good-looking athlete was basically all I took away from it. I didn't break him down in in any kind of intense detail. So this will definitely be the first time I've paid full attention to him as a player. So I'll, I'll be interested in that. Kirk is a kid that you know I. Thanks to Donovan, I've been hearing about for a while, and you know, well, you know, see, it's true, it's true. I mean, yeah, he's he's everything I'd heard he was. He's he's trouble. Uh, he he could be one of those really productive space players for 
12 years in sort of a, I mean, the Sproles comparison is one that you're going to hear, and it's not a terrible comparison. Uh, he He's a guy that, if used correctly, is going to probably have a couple of rushing touchdowns and, you know, six or seven receiving touchdowns and two or three return touchdowns. He's going to, if you use him the right way, you're going to get 10 to 12 total touchdowns out of that guy per year at the next level. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I agree with all of those guys that you mentioned. I guess the only other one I was going to mention, uh, will mention, I want to see Browning. Uh, obviously, Washington is not going to be a contender this year. They're, you know, probably a couple of years away. And unlike Charlie Strong, luckily Chris Pearson isn't going to have people breathing down his neck after, you know, two bad seasons or, or two average seasons or whatever. He's going to be given time. Uh, Washington fans are passionate, but they're not rabid or insane or, you know, whatever. So they're going to give him time to do what Chris Peterson does, which takes a little while to do anyway. He's going to have to change the culture there, which is what Charlie Strong is trying to do. And it's painful. The painful process changing the culture at a school that everybody in the world notices. And if it doesn't happen quickly, if you don't do it in a year or two, if you don't do a Brian Kelly, basically, or an Urban Meyer where it happens basically in, in one year, people start you know, circling. The people start <laughs> bloods in the water and, you know, people start planning your demise. So uh, I'll be interested to see how Browning comes along. He's just a kid, obviously, and I'm not putting too much on him, but I want to, I do want to see, you know, there's certain things you look for, poise, decision-making, and what kind of throws he's able to make. And that's the things that I'll, I'll look to see. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I think Texas, I hate to say Spoiled, but I mean, the the thing is, is you know, a lot of people there's backlash for Charlie Strong because he got rid got rid of a bunch of knuckleheads. Which yeah. it's like, really? That's that's your, you know, sort of oh, under Mac Brown. We were yeah, under Mac Brown, you were enjoying eight and eight, you know, five hundred seasons, um, if if not worse. So I just feel like, sure, you know, I, I don't know. I just don't get it. I, I understand, yeah, you have to win football games, college football, blah, blah, blah. But I think that when you watch the team play, you do see the areas where just give this a little bit more time and you're going to have yeah. really good, you know, you're going to have a one, you're going to have a Big 12 defense that's really good. Uh, which is something you don't and there's not many of those around, right? So that's a differentiator. And two, you're going to have offense that uh, will you know, can score points because that's because that's kind of the biggest thing I think that's happening right now with them is that their the defense is still learning things about itself, um, but can still get a lot of pressure and knock people out. Well, the offense is also doing the same thing. So it's it's tough, but you know, like I don't know, and maybe it's because I like Charlie Strong, but you know, what's not to like about Charlie Strong? That's all I gotta say. I mean, well, they're not they're not playing for the Big Twelve Championship, is what they don't like about Charlie Strong. Um, I, I don't think 
for most of the people we're talking about. I don't think race is the hopefully at least is the is the factor that's causing most of the the I mean like I said there might be some people where that's the case, but I think for most people it's it's about wins and losses. And I understand that. It's always to some extent about that. But I if people give him time, he'll get it done. Hope so. Yeah. It's kind of funny looking back, I remember the the three hires that we really loved uh that year in particular, James Franklin of Penn State, right? Um Charlie Struck in Texas and uh even Chris Peterson of Washington. All three of those coaches ain't doing so hot right now. Um I guess we didn't realize how bad their football teams were uh that they were going yes. to. Those people were all left you know, a, a hot mess, basically, you know, in every single one of those cases, these people were handed, Bielema, Peterson, and, um, and so I saw them all handed really damaged programs. And they had won enough to mask how deep some of that damage had gone, but you can only mask that for so long. And each of those guys who left got out of town sort of just in time to a certain extent. So, you know, the more you look at that, the more it, it makes a certain amount of sense. In the case of Strong, because we, we got a chance to talk to people who were very close to the program, they were getting kids with a strong sense of entitlement for a while there. I mean, that's something I'm hearing not just in a single source. I'm hearing, I heard that from multiple sources, that that was something that was beginning to become an ingrained thing, in fact, that they were getting these kids, you know, for multiple years' worth of you know, four and five stars, which all of them have a certain amount of sense of entitlement, but that their recruitment process was sort of not competitive in a way. I mean, that they would promise these kids, hey, we're bringing in, we're not going to bring anybody else's position for, you know, at least for the next year or two years in some cases. And so, well, then great, <laughs> you know, well, then that's my job. Awesome. I'm just going to be the starter here for a while and that doesn't I mean that's that's the opposite of the kind of spirit most teams want I mean Urban Meyer that that, that would never fly with Urban Meyer you know what I'm saying like that would never happen in a million years he never told Tebow or whoever else you want to name that I'm not recruiting anybody else at your position next year he didn't he didn't, he didn't matter who you were he was bringing in whoever he wanted and if he was better than you, you would lose your job. Period. You know, so that's a a big change to make was bringing in these different kinds of kids, and then you know, slowly but surely, getting rid of the guy, some of not all, but some of the guys who were there before who didn't quite get the you know this is different. This is not going to be the same. You're going to have to approach the game differently and approach everything differently if you're going to have success in this new regime. And like I said, they don't have all their, their guys in place yet. And if, if they do, maybe it'll look different. Uh, we'll see. We'll see if they survive. Yeah. Or James, Frank, or James Franklin is forever known as the man who destroyed Hackenberg.
Well, like I said, I will be very much looking at your some of the guys that you mentioned. Jim, tell people where you can find and follow your work, sir. Sure. Uh, you can find my work at It is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.